On this episode of Plant Killers, we'll explore one nation's most notorious fruit and vegetable killer, bad dirt. What makes bad dirt so bad? The answer, the ingredients. But fear not, true crime enthusiasts. This story has a happy ending. New miracle Grow organic raised bed and garden soil. It's made with quality organic ingredients from upcycled green waste like compost and aged bark. Unlike the other guys who can't say the same. Looks like bad dirt's murdering days are over. Thanks to miracle Grow. Join us next time on Plant Killers. Oh my god, chills. What happened? Oh my god. Oh, I just can't. What? Hey everyone. Hey, welcome. Welcome to People Are the Worst. Glad to have you. Happy to have you at all times. For real. While she's doing that, I had a um, maternity leave lunch yeah. date with my husband. It was so fun. But we had our newborn with me, and I was, like, rocking him to sleep, and it was, like, ideal. I had a glass of rosé, and I was living the life. Lovely. And I was totally. lovely. And then our British waitress came up and was like, when is he going to stroll your baby? And Ooh. I was like, oh, Get my it, girl. God, pardon me. I was like, you're right. Get your ass up. And you sit here and you stroll them. Good cue. I know. So it got us talking again about moving to London. Y'all were cat. Oh, Just constantly talking so about pissed. moving to Europe. Stop it. Mm-hmm. But she did. She was like, when I was wondering when he's going to get up and stroll your baby. Just and I was like, get it, girl. For right shame. now. Right now. Right now, bitches. And I'm going to sit pretty and drink my rosé and blah, blah. And I was like, no, good he has her. been. Um, yeah, good for her, for sure. But I was like, no, he has been Hopeful. on toddler duty with our other son. He has been sole caretaker. <laughs> You're like, don't worry about don't it. Don't worry. I put him to work. Yeah. It was. I'm like, oh, so should we, do we move to London or not? Is the constant question. Yeah. So we'll see. Don't. The, oh, sorry. The answer is no. Okay. Patrons, what is up? Martha, Gloria, Carly, Dest- Destina, Destina, Lindsay, Riley, Zoe, Alyssa, Sid, Molly, Jen, Nicole, Hillary, Christina. Thank you all for joining. That Thank is so you. nice. We will keep the bonus apps coming. Maybe a couple little mini episodes for you $8 tier thrown in there. Not maybe, definitely. Definitely. I was about to say. No, we have them coming. Thank you. I have a couple of custom shout outs with that. So the first is from Gloria. I would like you to give a shout out to my Airbnbs, VRBOs in Green Mountain, North Carolina. They're called Bearden and Night's View. They're listed together. And I looked in the prop. Oh my God. The best property. It is quintessential western north carolina it's they're very nice so go on airbnb or verbo and look up knight's view or bear den in green mountain north carolina take yourself give yourself a little getaway you deserve it you deserve it for real and the second one is uh from whitney i would like to use my custom shout out to shout out my cheer team merrill hyde magnet school i'm their cheer coach and as we head into our very first competition season ever i just wanted to Wanted them to know that I'm so proud of them and all of their hard work this season thus far. I love you, girls. Hey, good luck in in competition season. Yeah. Does that mean that um, the cheerleaders are listening? 
I bet we are. I bet I bet cheerleaders love true crime. Oh why? I don't know. Why? Because they're our demo. Teenage girls, they're just, you know, there's so many movies, horror movies about like the sorority girl, the cheerleaders uh, getting butchered. Uh-huh. I, bet I, they, I bet they get into it. I, I feel like any girl can kind of really get into it. Oh, well, duh. But I bet they're, you know, That's a part so of that. random. Yeah. You think? Mm-hmm. Well, she shouted them out. So clearly they listen. Thanks for listening, y'all. Thank Good luck you. in competition season. Good luck. Okay, we're going to jump into it because it's kind of long, you know, Mm -hmm. and we're going to chat. Do you understand? I, Rachel, am going to tell Rebecca about Jennifer Jackson and her daughter, Nora Jackson. Nora is our age. They lived in Memphis. We have a lot of mutual friends. So one of my sources is one of those mutual friends. I'm not going to say who. Okay. So that's one source, a secret personal source. Mm-hmm. We got the suggestion twice. A guy we went to high school with and her the source you're speaking of. Yes. Like, and okay. she's been she's been on my list for a while because we're like one degree of separation. So I knew we could, you know, incite some knowledge from people who know her well. Mm-hmm. But I thought it was a lot more cut and dry than it was. So I was yeah. like, it might be a short episode, like because just for my knowledge of it. And then digging into it, I'm like, this is going to be a long episode. I know. Holy she texted me. was like, holy shit. It's 20 pages, which usually are around 12 yeah. to 15, maybe. I'm like, oh, okay. And yeah, I'm with you. Yeah. I was like, okay, this is on my list. But like, I pretty much know it, but I do not know it. No, you don't. I didn't. 99% of it came from the case file. I love the case file. Mm-hmm. Also, New York Times, localmemphis.com, CBS News, again, my secret source, and The Innocence Project. Jennifer Jackson was born in Savannah, Georgia in 1965. In 1987, when she was 21 years old, she and her husband, Nazmi Hassini, had a daughter named Nora. But shortly after Nora was born, Nazmi and Jennifer got divorced. She was like four months old, like baby. Yeah. God, which would suck. Jennifer got full custody and was a successful bond trader. So she and Nora lived in a nice neighborhood in Memphis. Nazmi stayed in Memphis, but it sounds like he was out of the picture pretty much her entire life. Um, our source said he was irrelevant. But when Nora was 16, she, they did get back in touch and they would like text and talk to each other. They kept pretty regular contact. Nazmi owned a convenience store and a limo company in Memphis. Oh, he had still lived in Memphis? I was just out of the, their lives? Yeah. Oh, good hell. I would, I would hate that. Yeah. So he owned a, a convenience store and limo company in Memphis. Jennifer went on to marry again, but her second husband was violent and abusive. So they got divorced in 2001. In January 2004, Nazmi was shot while he was in his office at the convenience store, killed, <gasps> murdered. Oh, bummer. Mm. Very low quality surveillance shows that the killer walks in the store, waves off customers who are in there. He's like, get out, goes to the register, takes cash out then walks into Nazmi's office, shoots him point blank, and then takes some VHS tapes, which they thought the killer might think that those were surveillance tapes. Yeah. But but it wasn't. He went to the cash register beforehand. Yeah. So he seems like a disgruntled employee. Well, a lot of people may be disgruntled. I'll get there. So uh, okay. his murder has never been solved. They did determine it was a robbery, but there are a lot of theories Nazmi had some pretty sketchy business dealings, and according to my source, was just all around sketchy. Mm. 
That was like where they would go to underage. I mean, buy beer underage, you know? Yeah. His limo company was used to usher clients to and from the strip club that was next door to the convenience store. And it was rumored that the limos were often used for illegal activities like a prostitution ring and a drug cartel. Nazmi apparently secretly recorded people in his limos. Mm -mm. So if he caught some of that on tape, some people may not like that, especially the drug cartel. No. It would also explain why the shooter grabbed VHS tapes. Mm, Maybe yeah. they thought they were the ones from the limo. Mm -hmm. But in 2017, a court document was released that showed Nazmi may have been helping Memphis P PD take down the drug cartel. They say the name, but I'm like, drug cartel scared the shit out of me. I'm not saying it. Wow. Which, if that's the case, it's very clear what happened. Uh -huh. I mean, they've probably found that out and we're like, that's not happening. Like, drug cartel and... I mean, I know Memphis is dangerous. Uh, yeah. Uh, yeah. Uh -huh. But um, well, I, to my knowledge, uh, nothing's come from that, but that's the latest. That was 2017. So for today, it is still unsolved. When he died, though, he left Jennifer several cars, including a Mercedes, a couple limos, and two vans. On June 4th, 2005, Jennifer called her on again and off again boyfriend, a pastor named Mark Irvin and asked if she could go to church with him the following day and then take him out for his birthday. They had recently broken up, so he actually said no. Oh, God. Bummer. Yeah. That night, Jennifer went with her friend Jimmy to a wedding in downtown Memphis. After the reception, they went to another bar called Cockeyed Camel, where they each had one drink, and then Jennifer left to go home at 11.30 p.m. Just after midnight, so now we're in June 5th, 2005, just after midnight, Jennifer called 18-year-old Nora to come home. Nora was out with friends and being a rebellious teen, teen, she was like, sure, sure, but ended up not going home. Mm -hmm. Growing up, Nora and her mom had been more like friends, but when Nora was in high school, she started really slacking, focusing much more on her social life. She even dropped out of school, which Jennifer hated. Education was very important to her, and she was adamant that Nora needed to get, get her life together. And remember, Jennifer is only 21 years older than Nora. So she was a young mom. Yeah. She was like yeah. the cool mom. Nora ended up getting homeschooled, but it sounded pretty lax. Like I read somewhere that she was, when she was 18 and the rest of them were like finishing senior year, she was still considered a junior. Like, you know, uh, yeah. it's just like go at your own pace type thing probably. Yeah. Because of all this, Nora and Jennifer's relationship started to become strained. A mom going from like, I'm your friend to enforcing rules just isn't yeah. going to work for a rebellious teenager. So no. she's like, nah. Yeah. Ass rage. <laughs> I can speak to this. It doesn't work. Mm -mm. It's not going to work unless you want to get yelled at. <laughs> unless you want the business side of a hissy fit. <laughs> so the night Jennifer went to the wedding, Nora went out with friends to an Italian festival. And then when she went to two house parties, after that, she went to get cigarettes and Taco Bell, then stopped by another friend's house, smoked a bowl. She's just like driving around, meeting up with people, and ended up getting home around 5 a.m. Mm, okay. When she got there, she noticed that her mom's bedroom door was open. She was like, shit. She peeks in and sees her mom naked, lying on the floor, covered in blood, and a wicker basket <gasps> is over her face. <gasps> Nora ran out of the house across the street to Joe and Rachel Cox's house. Joe and Rachel woke up to Nora banging on the door, screaming for help. Joe grabs his pistol and runs across the street. Nora runs in first, grabs the phone, calls 911. Mm -hmm. Joe doesn't find any intruders, so he and Rachel stay with Nora until the cops get there around 5.15 a.m. Wow. 
When the police get there, they pronounce 39-year-old Jennifer dead. She had been stabbed 50 times. Holy shit. They estimate that she was killed sometime between 1 a.m. and 4 a.m. Mm. At the crime scene, they find glass on the kitchen floor from a window pane and a door that led to the garage. So there was a door in the kitchen that led to the garage, but it had gla- like glass panels. Mm-hmm. Of course, there was a ton of blood, so they gathered DNA, fingerprints, the works. They also found strands of hair in Jennifer's hands and a condom wrapper on the floor. Shut up. Yeah. When asked who she thought could have done this, Nora said that Jennifer's boyfriend was an asshole, but not even he could do something like this. Mm. So that's where they look first. Mark Irvin, the pastor, friends said that he was controlling and seemed to have an underlying anger issue. He, they, no one liked him. Mm-hmm. Police found out that he called Jennifer around midnight the night she was murdered, which he admitted to doing, but he said he immediately hung up. I think he realized what time it was and how late it was. So he hung up. They never even talked. Then he went to bed, which he lived in Jackson, Tennessee, which is like 90 minutes from Memphis, but he lived alone. So like Uh, no one can really vouch for that. Right. And the days and weeks after questioning, Mark contacted the police several times just to check in, see how things were going. Uh, That's that's always sketchy. Or or it could be, that's what I wrote. I'm like, it could be a concerned boyfriend-ish seeing if they're making progress or it's sketchy AF and you're hoping they're not sniffing you out. Right. Either way, there was really no hard evidence that it was him. So he's not totally eliminated, but he's on the back burner. Mm-hmm. Like okay. We really can't place him. Yeah. That morning, Nora went to the police station to give her statement. And while she was there, they questioned her whereabouts, which is the recap I gave you. Italian festival, a couple of house parties, gas station, Taco Bell, came home at 5 a.m. Yeah. Hi, it's Martha Stewart. You know, I spend a lot of time thinking about dirt. At 3 a.m.? At all hours of the day, really. What people don't know is that not all dirt is the same. You need dirt with the right kind of nutrients. New miracle Grow organic raised bed and garden soil is so dense, so full of nutrient-rich, high-quality ingredients. miracle Grow is simply the best. They notice a cut on the back of her left hand, like at the bottom of her thumb. If you're okay. watching on YouTube, I'll post a picture. But if you're watching on YouTube, it's like right here. It's like okay. between your forefinger and thumb almost. They asked how she got that. She said she cut it on a beer bottle Italian festival at the Italian festival. That makes sense. Yeah. Nora signed her statement, submitted DNA, and gave consent for them to search her car before she went back home around noon on June 5th. Almost four months later, on September 29, 2005, while leaving a babysitting job, Nora was arrested for the murder of Jennifer Jackson. Oh, my God. Wait, what year was that? 2005. It was four okay. months, three and a half, four months after okay. the murder. Jennifer's estate was worth one and a half million dollars. So the prosecutor, Amy Wyrick, argued that Jennifer killed her mom for the money so she could keep partying with friends. Again, they didn't have a great relationship. They argued over partying and disregard for education. And I think Nazmi's, when he left uh, the cars to Jennifer, they were technically Nora's, but Jennifer wouldn't let her have control of them until she got her shit together. So there was contention about that. Mm. The judge set a $500,000 bond, which she was unable to pay. So she sat in jail for three and a half years before trial. Holy shit. Now... We're going to talk about the events leading up to this. Okay. Starting with the morning she found her mom, and I'm going to tear your little mind into two. Oh, brother. 
You're going to think she did it. And then you're going to think Noah. But it's solved, right? Like when I say that I know the story, I don't. It was just suggested twice by two people I know. And I'm like, okay, I'll look into this. But it seemed cut and dry. Yeah. Maybe it's not. Same, same. Arguing about partying is (laughs) silly. You have to know you're going to grow out of that. No? Well. You don't know. They seem a little. You don't know. Because they seem a little more harder partying than like we were it's not it wasn't just alcohol like you're not just drinking underage yeah damn not even not even just pot um eventually eventually i mean i i you know i get it when nora found jennifer's body and ran to joe and rachel cox house the neighbor testified joe testified that she said she was screaming someone is breaking into my house as in like actively that's why he grabbed his gun yeah when he got to the front door he paused just for a second to like brace himself for because he thought he was probably about to have to shoot someone and yeah. Nora ran right past him into the house which he thought was very weird he was like you were just terrified now you're running in front of the guy with the gun like go behind me yeah he could have misheard her maybe she misspoke in terror like that yeah it's at not 5 a.m i'm sure he was dead asleep so yeah. he could be coming yeah. to yeah right she could have said someone broke into my house and right. he just so that's you know okay so she does run in she grabs the phone and call 911 the operator asks if her mom was shot and she immediately says no with that much blood there's no way you could have known that mm-hmm. the 911 call is online it is chilling <gasps> if if it's chilling when police got there they noticed that Nora's wearing a sweatshirt even though at this time in the morning it's already 90 to 95 degrees which makes me want to it's 5 15 a.m and it's 90 degrees mm-hmm. wolf yeah this actually comes up a lot the fact that she's wearing a sweatshirt but our source said she always wore long sleeves always which is you know something to note okay well my sister-in-law I mean it's we're in Georgia and my sister-in-law is constantly cold it's just some people just like yeah she will wear a fur vest if she could all year round yeah yeah so that doesn't mean much to me the police then asked nora if she touched jennifer which she said yes she looked for a pulse she shook her to wake her up she touched her arm and her face yet rachel the neighbor did not notice any blood on her which maybe not like all over but it would at least be on her hands yeah and i mean maybe she washed her hands in the frenzy like that seems weird too but like Jennifer was covered in blood, her cheeks, everything. 50 stab wounds. Yes. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. As police look around the house, they find the glass that was on the kitchen floor. As mentioned before, it was glass from a panel in the door that led out to the garage. So it seemed like the intruder had come in through the garage, broke the panel, stuck their hand in to unlock the door, and then let themselves in. What they found weird about it is that the broken glass lined up perfectly with a butterfly lock that was on the door and a little higher up than a normal lock. And you could only see it from the inside. So a random intruder would have no idea that that's where the lock was. However, given the crime itself, it's clearly not a random intruder. It's someone who definitely knows Jennifer, definitely knows the house. That doesn't mean it was Nora. Mm -hmm. What's weirder than that, though, is that the garage door itself was locked. It was down and locked. So the scenario was someone coming in through the garage, breaking in through the door, but there was no way to get in the garage from the outside. Right, there's nowhere to get in the garage from the outside. The garage, yeah. So, like, in their minds, they thought someone came in, broke in through the garage door, either the actual garage door or, like, a little door 
that you mm-hmm. can actually walk through. Both of those were locked. There was no way to do that. Uh, so now they're thinking someone broke that glass before they left and then just to make it look like someone came yeah, through the garage. Stage and, they, it. Yeah. and they forgot that the garage doors would need to be open. Yeah, that's interesting. By this point, cops got everyone out of the house and called the CSI unit to collect evidence. While they waited, they asked Nora to sign a form for con- consent to search so they could search the house and really start the investigation. But Nora didn't want to immediately sign it. Instead, she insisted on talking to her friend Genevieve Dix, who's an attorney. She wanted to talk to her first. Genevieve got to the house right before 8 a.m. and said when she got there, Nora was in the front yard, again in a sweatshirt, she noted. And she said when she went to hug her, Nora pulled the sleeves down over her hands and kept her arms straight by her side. Okay. She then noted that Nora, who was a smoker and had apparently been out partying all night, was, quote, fresh and sweet smelling and had no makeup on. So she thought she showered. Yeah. You don't smell good after being out all night. I don't care if you smoke or not. Especially if you're a smoker, though. Especially if you're a smoker. The shower was wet when police got there, but Jennifer and Nora shared a bathroom. So they don't know if Jennifer took a shower when she got home and then was killed soon after. Like, there's no way to verify. Oh, couldn't they tell? Even if Jennifer's covered in blood. Oh, maybe. That much blood is what I'm thinking. Oof. So detectives are like, okay, your friend Genevieve is here. So now we sign the form for consent to search. Nora asked to speak to Genevieve privately before she signed it. They walk away and Genevieve told her that she's not a criminal attorney. She knows nothing about that form. And she also made it clear that she did not represent Nora. She's like, let's get some things straight. Apparently, Nora persisted and asked Genevieve if she signed it, would they be able to search her car? And Genevieve said, they're likely going to search everything sooner or later. And if you don't cooperate, they'll probably just get a search warrant. Then she asked, why, why do you give a shit about your car? And Nora said she had a bong in there and she didn't want to get in trouble. And Genevieve was like, no, this is a murder this, investigation. Yeah. They, do, they do not care. This is yeah. not how that works. It, it doesn't matter. It. Yeah, You're good. So Nora signed it at 7.51 a.m. Well, they search her car and there's no note of a bong, but they find a Walgreens bag full of first aid supplies. It had new skin, the liquid Band-Aid stuff, uh, yeah. adhesive tape, and peroxide. Hmm. There was no receipt, so they don't know when she made this trip to Walgreens or which Walgreens it was, but they went to one that was pretty close to their house, and sure enough, it was bought there. They pulled the store's digital receipt, and it was bought at 4.01 a.m. the morning Jennifer was murdered. Oh. Police got the manager to pull security footage, and it was, Nora bought it, obviously. Mm-hmm. They asked the clerk who was on duty about it, and they said that Nora came in and asked for a paper towel for her hand because it was bleeding so bad. Oh, yikes. That cut on her hand. Yeah. So they're like, why wouldn't you tell us about this trip to Walgreens? And she said she didn't think it was relevant. Um, Everything you do in the 24 hours your mom was murdered is relevant. She thought going to Taco Bell was relevant enough to mention. (gasps) Yeah. And buying cigarettes. Um, So she thought those were relevant, but not going to Walgreens to heal a cut. Mm, no, not looking good, Nora. I will say the cut on her hand is not consistent with someone slipping on a knife mid-stabbing. It's not on her palm. It's on the back of her hand. It's not huge either. It's not like a gash, but apparently bleeding enough for a Band-Aid and first aid supplies and a paper yeah. towel from the clerk. It could be caused from breaking glass in a kitchen door, perhaps. Yeah. Maybe. I'll or post a picture. someone turning the knife, grabbing the knife just so quickly, stabbing her before she got it back. Yeah. 
Exactly. Yeah, that's true. Well, no note of cuts on Jennifer's hands. I know, but it could have been a very quick, like, yeah, ah, and it just happened to hit her top hand before she grabbed it back. Yeah. Now we'll get into DNA and cold, hard evidence. The CSI unit got there to collect evidence with a stabbing like this. There's a ton of it, but the scene was very mishandled. Surprising for a police department who has ample experience in a murder investigation. Memphis ranks fourth for cities in the U.S. with the most violent cl- crime and eighth for murder. God. So like, yeah, but that's, that's current dangerous. data, but still in yeah. 2005, it wasn't much safer. Yeah. Anyway. It's probably so, safer now. <laughs> yeah. I was about to say, it's actually probably worse. Yeah. Um, so mishandled crime scene. For starters, by the time the CSI unit got there, to the time they left, 22 people had walked through the crime scene. Oh, my God. Given the amount of blood, they requested a blood, a blood splatter expert to come to the scene, and they never showed up. What? Just no show. There were bloody okay. footprints in the hallway, and the chemical they used to lift them was a new product that they hadn't used before and hadn't been trained on yet. Oh, God. So you know, I hope, hope they used it right. Yeah. There were a ton of fingerprints throughout the house. A lot of them were partial or unidentifiable. But the f- fingerprints on the condom wrapper were identifiable and they didn't match Jennifer or Nora. But they couldn't get the DNA from the condom wrapper because the process of lifting the fingerprints ruined it, destroyed the DNA. Oh, God. The rape kit on Jennifer's body came back negative, so there was no sexual assault. There was DNA found in the bedroom from two or three unknown people, not matching Nora. Uh. In fact, of all the DNA collected from the scene that they could gather profiles from, none of it matched Nora. The hair strands they collected from Jennifer's hands were long and blonde. Nora's hair was brown. Oh, shit. Yeah, Jennifer's hair was blonde, though. So they could have been her own. Well, what do you mean could have been? They didn't test it? But we don't know because they didn't test it. Oh, my God. They said they didn't. It wasn't an oversight. They said they didn't test it because the crime scene was so poorly handled and the chain of custody with the hair strands couldn't be trusted. So they were like, it's a wash. It's But it's in her grasp? Mm-hmm. Oh, my God. DNA under her fingernails were just hers, though. So I think they were like, it's, it's hers. I mean, they just yeah. figured. It seems, it seems relevant to give it a go. Yeah. Let's, let's just give it a try. It might be yeah. hers. We don't know. Yeah. Probably. Yeah. Probably. Sure. During trial, pretty much everyone testified against Nora, her friends, her aunts, her half uncle, which I was at this point, it was 4 a.m. when I was writing this. I was too tired to try to figure out how someone's a half uncle, but whatever, her half uncle. Uh They all painted her as a bratty party girl who was consumed with drugs, mostly alcohol, weed, and Loratab, which she was prescribed to. She was prescribed to it because she had endometriosis, but Uh. apparently she took it a lot. Yeah. My source didn't testify, but told me Nora was extremely smart, extremely captivating, and extremely extremely manipulative. They met in seventh grade, and Nora was fun party girl again. But in high school, they kind of cut ties because she was isolating herself. She switched schools a couple of times. She The friendship just faded. Yeah. So they rarely saw her or hung out with her but the night of the italian festival was one of those times and so a lot of like their friends testified oh wow okay one testified that the night of her murder they heard nora and jennifer on the phone fighting and nora hung up and said my mom's a bitch she needs to go to hell (gasps) i mean no i know it's not that serious if you're just fighting but it's just so crazy to think she was murdered that night Uh, Mm -hmm. yeah yeah i mean 
teens yeah. will be teens. Go to hell. Well, and it sounds like they fought a lot because neighbors came forward and talked about how they'd hear screaming fights between Jennifer and Nora. One in particular, she heard Nora screaming just... She was in a rage, she said. Give me the money, assuming referring to Nazmi's inheritance. Again, a teenager and a mom fighting, even though loud enough for a neighbor to hear, is very extreme, but it doesn't sway me that much. They do seem like they fought a lot. Yeah. I don't know if it leads to murder. Yeah. So I'm kind of, for those, I'm like, next. I mean, yeah, sure. She clearly hated her mom in the moment, but I'm like, come on. Yeah. Her friend Clark testified that he got a call on his cell phone at 1 a.m. the morning Jennifer was murdered, and it was from the Jackson's home phone, which was weird because Nora never called from the house line. There was an immediate hang-up, and then 10 minutes later, she called him from her cell phone. He didn't answer. She left a voicemail. I think the voicemail was like, hey, call me back. Otherwise, it would have said what it said. But yeah. phone records corroborated this, and the prosecution said it was Nora calling him from her house, then being like, shit, I'm not supposed to be home. So she hung up and called from her cell phone. Apparently, Jennifer didn't even know Clark, and she never called her friends to, like, find her. That wasn't something she did. So yeah, she couldn't argue that, like, oh, that was my mom looking for me. Yeah. After that, her phone is completely silent from 1.13 a.m. to 3.18 a.m., which is weird considering she was out and about, driving around, seeing friends. And outside of that time frame, her phone was very active. They also said the story about the cut on her hand kept changing. She said she broke it on the beer bottle at the Italian festival. She told one friend she burned it making mac and cheese. She told someone else she cut it on glass when she was chasing her kitten or something. Nothing was consistent. They also brought up her behavior right after the murder. In addition to the sweatshirt and smelling like she showered, someone said on the afternoon of June 5th, the day she found her mom, she mentioned wanting to have a party that night. And they're like, no, uh, no, you can't do that. The cops took the sneakers she was wearing when she found her mom because there, there was blood on them. And apparently, like, the day or two after it, after that, she was really annoyed because she wanted the sneakers back. She's like, they better give those back. And oh, like, my God. Give it a minute. Very um, Carla Homolka. Yeah. Being like, am I going to get this back? And like, no, could you just chill? This is right. evidence of a horrific crime. Yeah. Okay. She got an apartment and was having a ton of parties. Apparently, at one point, she saw cops pulling up to the apartment complex. They were responding to, like, some other disturbance from another resident. But apparently, she said to her friend, are they here for me? <gasps> I don't know if she said it in, like, a joking, tongue-in-cheek. You know, I don't know. but Or if she was having a party herself, being like, oh, shit, are they here for this? Like, my party? Yeah, this sounded like it was not that. It was, like, her and one other person. Oh, Jesus. So it was a lot of you're not acting how you should be type behavior mm -hmm. and yeah. people testifying. My favorite example, though, is when she was arrested, she called her aunt to have her aunt, aunt call the family she was babysitting to get the money they owed her, which is. Are you serious? Yes. She was like, hey, I was babysitting. They haven't paid me yet. Could you get my $80? I from mean, whatever it is. Yeah, um, mom was just murdered, and I just will really think I'll need that eighty dollars. And I'm arrested for it. So as soon that as I bust is... out of here, I'm gonna. I'm. You better be good for it. <laughs> <laughs> they got a free babysitter though. Hi, they, they did. Hey, yeah. Lastly, her friend Andrew Hammock, who's the last person she called on her cell phone, cell phone that morning testified that the night of the Italian festival, he and Nora were talking throughout the night. She called him to come over to her house sometime between 10 p.m. and midnight. He later said it may have been midnight and two. Seemingly, she was at home when she called him. 
Like she was like, come over. He ended up not going over there, but they talked again around 4 a.m. when she was on her way home. And she said, come meet me at my house, which he said was weird. She didn't usually invite him over. I'm sure, especially at 4 a.m. You're right. But by then he was pretty effed up. So he didn't go over there because, quote, I couldn't afford a DUI, as he said in court. <laughs> Fair. 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 Good for you. Good. Those are the decisions you need to make. Yeah. Or a manslaughter charge, but whatever. Right. After that, he said he woke up with a text from Nora at 5 a.m. that just said, answer. Oh, God. So he's really the only witness that places her at the scene of the crime that morning. And the prosecution presented this as her wanting someone to walk in the house with her, find her mom with her. So there was a witness to be like, no, I saw her find the body. We came home together. I can vouch for that. She was just looking for alibis. My source said that, too. She was like, mm -hmm. it was weird. She was just showing up at people's houses being like, hey, come out to the driveway. Let's hang out. And people were like, what? No. Yeah. It, it seemed like she was looking for alibis. Yeah. Her defense is like, nah, angsty teenage bullshit doesn't make you a murderer. And friendly reminder, her DNA was nowhere to be found in the massive amounts of blood in that crime scene. Not only was hers not, other uh, unknown DNA profiles were found. So it's not like hers wasn't found, but no one else's was. All of it was the victim's. No. The, one of the top contributors to the unknown DNA profiles was from blood found on the bed sheet. And it was not Nora's and it was not Jennifer's. There's oh. a picture of it. It is a lot of blood. Oh, wow. Okay. God. Also, Nora got a manicure on June 4th, the day before Jennifer's murder, specifically a French manicure, which, if you don't know, is like an off-white nail polish, but the tips of your nails are stark white. There was a, there was a time yeah, no. where this was a very elegant look. <laughs> <laughs> toes too. Ever, oh my god i've never had my toes but i will i will admit to the french manicure sure mm -hmm. our generation loved them we did mm -hmm. nora had one sure who didn't the pictures that police took of nora's hands when she gave her statement showed the manicure and it is perfect it's intact which you would like if you were stabbing someone 50 times you would likely chip a nail but also there would be some trace of blood, even in your cuticles, something. Not if you're wearing gloves. Yeah, they never found the murder weapon, so that's true. Mm. So aside from the small cut, her hands are spotless. But yes, she could have been wearing gloves. Also, the defense argues that daughter-mother matricide, which is when you murder your mother, is extremely rare. Less than 1% of murders make up matricide. When it does happen, it's normally after years and years of abuse as we know, Gypsy Rose is a great example of that. Mm, yeah. She's getting released in December. She FYI. is? Yeah. So it doesn't mean it didn't happen in this case. Sure, it does happen, but it is extremely rare. Almost never. Hmm. In her closing argument, the prosecutor, Amy Wyrick, looked at Nora and yelled, just tell us where you were, Nora. That's all we're asking. That's important to note later. She was yelling it. Oh. So a lot of information. After nine hours of deliberating, the jury found Nora guilty of second-degree murder, and in February 2009, she was sentenced to 20 years and nine months in jail, in prison. We ain't done. Yeah. Five days after the verdict, a handwritten statement from early in the investigation surfaced. It was written by Andrew Hammock, the guy that she last spoke to, and it said he was rolling on ecstasy the night and early morning of the murder, and he had left his phone with a friend for pretty much the entire night and morning. So he, oh. it completely discredits his testimony of her calling him to come over. Well, she did call him a bunch, but he, there's no 
no, we don't know what was said during those phone calls. He doesn't remember either. He was like, he said, if I answered it, I don't remember. Well, why did he say that? He didn't even have his phone. I don't know. Nora's, Nora's lawyer filed for an appeal because she had repeatedly asked the prosecution before and during the trial if they had turned over all the information related to Andrew because he was the key witness and she was already concerned about his credibility. They assured her she had everything. Turns out they just forgot about this statement. Oops. Oh, my God. Also in the appeal, the lawyer pointed out, pointed out that the prosecutor, Amy's dramatic closing statement of just tell us where you were, Nora, violated Nora's constitutional right to remain silent. She has every right not to uh, testify and incriminate herself, but Amy painted it like it means she's hiding something. Yeah. So with that and the withholding evidence, the Tennessee Supreme Court said, that's a no for us, dog, and unanimously voted to overturn Nora's conviction in August 2014, and she would get a new trial. Oh, wow. She found out watching TV in prison. <gasps> her lawyer didn't even call her to tell her. Oh, my she God. Saw, she saw it scroll across the ticker. Huh? <gasps> Isn't that insane? It's insane and exciting. <laughs> yeah. She said she burst into tears, I think. The prosecutors got a disciplinary hearing and they were reprimanded in some way, but nothing came of it. But they, yeah. They're, Amy Weirich's a little controversial. I'll say that. The new trial was going to be in a neighboring district, so she would get a new prosecutor. But ultimately, they offered Nora a plea deal. The new prosecutor couldn't get the same witnesses to testify. They either couldn't get in touch with them or they just refused, which is something my source noted. She was like, my friends were so annoyed because we hadn't seen Nora, hadn't hung out with her in the one night. Yeah. They were like, we thought we ditched this girl. And now we're getting dragged to court for her murder trial. Yeah. Like, we just wanted to go eat pasta at an Italian <laughs> festival. <laughs> right. It was about the pasta. It was about the pasta. They're, and they were like having to be on call from in college. We're in college at this point. So like they had to drop everything and go home to Memphis if whenever the trial started. So they're like, no, we're not doing that. Sorry. Oh, my God. So they said, we're not going to do the trial. Let's offer an Alford plea. If she pled guilty to manslaughter, she would get a reduced sentence. Her lawyer told her that with time served and credits for good behavior and for working in the prison, she'd be released that day. So Nora was like, what? Excuse me? Give me that pen? Sold. Yes. Oh, my God. The answer is yes. So on May 20th, 2015, she signed the Alford plea. And right after she learned that she did not have enough credits to be released, she had 15 months left. Uh, Can well, you imagine? No, I can't. But it's better than. Right? I mean, I know, but you thought you were getting out that very yeah, day. I know. That and they're sucks. like, oh, you have over a year. Sorry. Yeah, that sucks. In August 2016, Nora was released. She ended up moving to Nashville with her girlfriend, who she met in prison. I'm not sure if she's still there. She, she moved to Brooklyn for a second. I don't know. She, I don't know where she is, to be honest. Since she took the Alford plea, though, she couldn't get any of her parents' inheritance because in the state's eyes, she admitted guilt to manslaughter and felons can't benefit off their crimes. Her, she and Jennifer's family were in a huge lawsuit over this, but they ultimately settled. So I don't know what happened there. Oh, my God. How long was she in prison? Nine years. Holy shit. I thought she was still in there. Like, this is how little I know about this case. No. In July 2022, she was arrested in Kentucky for possession of cocaine, marijuana, and prescription pills. Oh, God. She's pretty public about the ordeal and maintains her innocence. There's still a ton of debate on whether or not she did it. The Innocence Project is on Nora's side 100%, and they're actively, they're working with Nora 
to try to identify who the unknown DNA belongs to now that technology is advanced and Nora's all for it. Yeah. So wow. I'm torn. I'm torn too. The consensus of my source and their Memphis friends is that I she 100% did it. Oh. She actually said in the days following the murder, it came out that police were looking at Nora as a suspect. And my source said she immediately said she definitely did it. She said she got a gut feeling. She would absolutely do something like this. Wow. My thing is the circumstantial evidence is damning. Yeah. The Walgreens trip, the cut on the hand, the inactive phone for two hours during the time they think she was murdered. Mm -hmm. The phone call to Clark from the house and then immediately calling from the cell phone. It's, it's not good. No. But I get stuck on two things. The DNA, none of the DNA matched hers. Yeah. Could easily be argued sloppy police work. Maybe they overlooked it. They did not do a good job. Maybe they had it and they just, you know, botched it. If they actually got two or three full profiles, though, and none of them match Nora, I, I don't know how it could be her. And I saw someone argue online that the fact that none of her DNA was found is sketchy in itself because she lived in the house. Her DNA should actually be there. Right. But... So it's alluding to like, did she clean it up? But with all that DNA, all the blood, everything, she figured out how to clean up her blood, her sweat, her saliva, and no one else's. It's just. Yeah. Yeah. Again, they, maybe the DNA was there and she got lucky and they were just really bad at investigating this sloppy. But I'm also, the second thing I'm stuck on is how hard it would be physically for an 18-year-old girl who is on drugs and drunk to have the strength to stab someone 50 times. Unless she was asleep. No, even without that. I just listened to a small town murder about something else. They're talking about how difficult it is to stab someone. They said it's apparently like putting a knife through a watermelon. Imagine oh, that 50 God. times. Like even if she had the strength to do it, how oh, could she God. do it without injuring herself whatsoever? I got tendonitis from picking up my newborn in a weird way. Like you would yeah. have some, like, even like, Hey, why are you rubbing your wrists like that? What's wrong? Just, I don't know how you could physically do that. Yeah. Oh my I, God. I'm so torn. I'm torn. But I, I'll also say if I were on the jury, I, there's no way I could have come up with a guilty verdict. It's all circumstantial. Yeah. It it's is. bad circumstantial. Even if I'm like, I kind of lean towards she did it. I'm mm -hmm. like the evidence, the, blame it on the police. The ev evidence was not there. Yeah. It wasn't. Yeah, you're right. And then the alternate theory could be also if that Nazmi stuff is true about the legal activities, Jennifer had everything, including those tapes. So maybe mm -hmm. she got killed for that. And I do believe a drug cartel could commit a perfect murder. They probably know what to do. Yeah, for sure. An eight, a drunk 18 year old. I don't know. Yeah. God, that is baffling. I Isn't really, that? yeah. I'm, I don't know. I don't know. I didn't know it was up for question, but again, I did not Same. know the story. All I knew was that someone in Memphis killed their mom is what I was told. Yeah. And that same. Wow. I, th I thought it was cut and dry. So I was like, I do, that is an interesting story and we know people involved. So it will, it'll be a short episode. And then I got into it. I was like, holy shit. There's yeah, so I can't much. Decide. And I left stuff out too. So Jesus. Good one. What do y'all think? So what do y'all think? Guilty or innocent? There's also, sorry, one last thing. There's another guy, I, I think he's with the Innocence Project, who's very much on her side. He like took her under her wing. She, he like adopted her because she has no family and they won't talk to her. And he's very much on her side. And I was listening to 
wine and crime before I found the case file I was listening to women in crime that's what mm-hmm. it is a podcast who covered this and they're two I think prosecutors they're two attorneys of some sort maybe defense attorneys and they were like the fact that he believes her I can't remember his name they're like that makes me believe because he's so well respected and he's very well known they're like he wouldn't he could not be duped by this oh. but my, sor- my source was like she is so charming yes he could and he is isn't that Oh. So man, I'm like, really? I did, okay. I mean, I want to take meet that her. for what it's worth. I don't. It's there's a 2020 on it. I, I actually didn't watch that because I'm telling you, the case files very detailed. Yeah. Oh my god, I want to meet her. She's in Nashville or Brooklyn, somewhere. Okay, great. We'll meet you. Yeah. Would love so to let me know. You. Yeah. What do y'all think? What do y'all think? <gasps> Good and one. I'm baffled. Thank- baffled thank you to my secret source you lost it i was like blowing her up and thank y'all for listening because you are the best and people are the worst bye